0: Are you ready to learn? Because my super experienced guests are ready to share some really valuable information. Make sure and listen all the way to the end to get help and support. So let's start with the best audio
1: experience. Hello guys, welcome. Welcome to our show. Today we discuss about fake reviews attack that you can meet in your Google My Business profile and I'm so excited to discuss this topic with Mike Blumenthal. How are you? I am great. How about you? I'm doing great. Looking forward to learn about that because we chatted a little bit and you told me that you discovered research about this topic. I know it's important and many local businesses have this issue. It's very important to know what to do because today I think it's hard to go ahead when you have uh, negative reviews. That's okay if they're real because you know how to develop, innovate, update your products, go ahead in your business. As I remember, Bill Gates said that the biggest asset is to get negative reviews because you can learn from them how to go ahead. But if you have fake reviews, it's not good. Okay, Mike, before we start, just tell more about yourself, experience, background, why you pay so much attention to local SEO, and tell more about this research.
0: Sure. So I grew up in local. My family had a local retail business. Uh, When I first got engaged in the Internet, In the late 1990s, I built websites for local, and then I started writing about local, and I just feel that the internet is, commerce on the internet is about local commerce, and local is about the internet, that in the end, every purchase is a local purchase, even if it comes from Amazon, comes to your house, it's about using it in the local market. And so local, to me, is the essence of of the internet, and businesses have been forced to accept the idea of third-party reviews. And so I, starting in 2007, started volunteering in the Google My Business forums and followed them very carefully over the years. And I've just, uh, the policies and procedures at Google have changed in about a year, a little over a year ago, they implemented a new review filter that I've been tracking fairly closely. And uh, over the last six months, I've been, or five months, been tracking fake review attacks quite closely because when Google implemented a Google uh, AI based review filter to look at incoming reviews so that they wouldn't have to put a human on it and these review this filter was designed to prevent fake positive reviews and fake negative reviews but like all AI there's sort of a flip side to it that if they let in more uh, reviews they They let in both more positive and more negative reviews. And I don't know, four or five months ago, the local guides were really upset because Google was filtering a lot of legitimate positive reviews. So they loosened up the filter and that led to an increase. The local guides got more positive reviews too, but it led to an increase in fake reviews. And I've been exploring that issue because every business, there isn't anything a business local business hates more or... Years more than the black hat SEO associated with a fake review attack.
1: Yeah, I think you know, black hat SEO is not dangerous like to get fake reviews because Google can recognize black hat uh, backlinks many times. John Mueller, Gary Ellis, many others uh, explain. About that, if you have these backlinks that are coming to your website. So, just don't care about them. Forget, you don't need even to disallow them by using this file. Just uh, keep doing what you're doing. But what about fake reviews? Okay, if someone uh, uh, gets a lot of fake reviews, what to do? And probably, if you have some checklist, step-by-step guide, uh, just (laughs)
0: Sure. Sure. Um, So uh, Google has gotten better at tracking fake reviews, but spammers, as Google has gotten better, have gotten smarter. So the Google review filter that I spoke of has gotten pretty good at figuring by combining an understanding of the category a business is in, where the reviewer is physically located, how many reviews they've left in various places for various types of businesses they have managed to stop to some extent the bulk of one star fake reviews now they haven't stopped them all and some fake review reviewers have also figured out that google doesn't can't st- doesn't stop two star fake reviews as well as one star fake reviews so spammers switched to two star fake reviews and they figured out Also, that Google local service ad reviews are separate from local reviews and Google has virtually nothing in place to start local service, stop local service ad reviews. So I did publish a step-by-step guide at Near Media and I'd be glad to share the URL with your audience. Do you want me to, if you want to, put that in the chat or send it to you? Yeah,
1: you can send on private chat. I'll uh, share in the description. and Yeah.
0: Okay. so But basically, um, you need to monitor your reviews regularly to keep an eye out for these attacks. And when I'm talking about attacks, I'm not talking about one pissed off employee employee having his sister and him leave a review for you. I'm talking more about competitors hiring companies to pound you with review after negative review. Um, I was working with a uh, service area of business recently, and over a two-month period, they got 220 of these fake reviews. Um, and so the first step is, one, monitor your views carefully and keep track of your reviews, the content of them, so that you know which ones are you're supposed to have. That way, if Google inadvertently takes them down, you can actually help Google recover them. But in terms of fake ones, one, track. Two, read the Google Maps content guidelines. So you understand what Google is looking for in fake reviews. They don't care what you say that whether they're fake or not, they care whether the reviews, the content of the reviews or the context of the review can be determined to be illicit. In other words, done from a foreign country or done by somebody who's known to leave a lot of fake reviews or whatever. So just because you say it as a business owner, Google doesn't care what you say. If the review They have to be convinced either the IP address or combination of the IP address with other behaviors to take it down. So understand the rules and understand why they take them down. Then once you do get a a fake review, there is a process at Google. If you go to the Google's business support page and you type in remove review, they will bring up a page that starts you on this process of filling out a form. You fill out the form. You pick your business. You pick which review was fake. And unfortunately, if you've got 20, you got to pick 20 times. So you got to repeat this. You'll then receive back from Google an email that says, We're looking. And then, usually, depending on how the review is done, you'll get another letter back that's email back that says your either review was removed, or more common, uh, they'll say it wasn't removed because if it made it through the filters, Prior to that, Google thinks it's a legitimate review, even if it isn't, at which point you go back to that remove review button. You tell Google that you want to look at the status of reported reviews, and then you are allowed to file an appeal. The first part of that is machine driven. The second part is human driven. So once you file an appeal, it goes off to, I assume, subcontractors in India who don't understand English very well, who don't understand the patterns of fake reviews very well. And they too will then send you an email. Uh, Once you do that, you'll get a case number and then it'll either get rejected or taken down. If at that point, if it is rejected, you have a case number, you go into the Google business forums and Google has empowered silver and higher forum members to further escalate these fake reviews for closer analysis. I assume by a team of Google employees, not a subcontractor. So you then go into Google My Business Forum. You give your business name, the case number, the links to the fake reviews, and you try to rustle up a product expert to then escalate it for additional reviews. I assume that this escalation process is also used for training machine learning training, so that if a human assesses these as fake, and there's a lot of signals that they're fake, um, that it will then be put back into the machine for additional training. And three, four, five days later, Google will either reject the second escalation or accept it. If it is rejected a second time, that product expert can go back one more time for an additional bite at the apple and have Request additional review because they say the fake reviews are so egregious. Um, so that's the process. It's sort of long and drawn out. Like I said, I wrote a post with all the steps in it. If you follow them all, I have had probably an 80, 85% takedown rate. You know, I do this on a consulting basis for people who want more of a concierge mm-hmm. service, but you can get it done for free. You go to the forum, it's free. You just go there and do it, you know. Um, follow
1: the steps. Nice, nice. Yeah, awesome. You know, you mentioned that uh, this company got plus 200 fake reviews. Can you tell uh, when you have uh, plus 200 reviews? It's a lot, you know, how to divide them, fake reviews, pro- possible that you have some negative reviews, but real reviews. So, right. uh, you know, if uh, I think business owners can feel, you know, can feel it's real or not. Uh, but when you have uh, 5, 10 reviews, but plus 200, it's a lot. So any tips how to do it at scale? Sure.
0: So firstly, they usually come in in batches because spammers are a business and they like to be efficient. So they typically mm-hmm. will come in in batches. Um, I did just put the link to the guide to how to fight a fake mm-hmm. review okay. check in the private chat. So firstly, they'll come in in batches. They don't typically dribble in one a month. Be- and particularly in the service businesses in large metro areas where these are taking place, these businesses already have thousand, two thousand reviews. So one or two fake ones isn't going to have an impact. So they have to be done at scale. So one, you'll see that um, these reviews will come in, uh, at, in in fairly large numbers, 10, 20, all within a few hours of each other. I would then copy those URLs to the reviews. If you click on the go to the review itself. On the right side of the of the review, you can find uh, the link to the review. Put them in a spreadsheet. And then also put the reviewer's name in a spreadsheet. Some spam reviewers hide their reviews, so you can't see. But many, some spam reviewers leave the reviews visible. And what you find when you look at these profiles of reviews, you'll see this pattern of reviewer A will have Fake reviewed four or five other businesses. Reviewer B will maybe have three or four overlaps with that. Reviewer C will have three or four overlaps with B. So you'll see this repeating pattern where these spammers, again, trying to be efficient. If you set up a fake account at Google, it costs the spammers some money. They want to get multiple fake reviews per per account. So you'll see these patterns of overlap, which is the other way. Another clear way you know that there are fake reviews, Um, and then. Typically, these days, Google's like I said, gotten better at one-star reviews. So keep your eyes open for two-star reviews. Or sometimes they will leave a four-star review with a negative comment. And then later, after the review gets through, go back and reduce the rating from four to two or one to sort of try to fool the filters. So you have to keep your eyes open. But the first sign is sort of the pace of these, the low ratings. The fact that you don't recognize them as customers. And then the second is to go in, document and understand, look at the profiles of reviewers and track where else they've left these reviews. You'll see these reviewers will have left reviews all over the world. You'll see they've left positive reviews perhaps on a competitor of yours when you got negative reviews or multiple competitors will get negative reviews and one will get a positive review. So you'll see those kinds of patterns as well.
1: Mm -hmm. You know, when I can think about uh, fake reviews, uh, the first thing that, uh, you know, I can imagine uh, competitors can do it. Yeah, they can find someone who can uh, leave these fake reviews. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, once I got a request, when... uh, For ransom. Yeah. A a ransom request. Yeah. Yeah, uh, someone told, "Okay, I can d- remove all these fake reviews, <laughs> just pay me money." Exactly. And this business and this business owner paid. Paid. Oh, oh uh, that was interesting. You no, know, I told him never do it. Ne- never again do it. Uh these fake reviews were removed, but in some time, I built more fake reviews. <laughs> so, right. uh, yes. what did did.
0: you what to do if you get such requests? <laughs> So, fake review is a fake review. Whether it came through, whether it came from a competitor, or whether it came from um, uh, uh, somebody who's trying to ransom you, the out the process is exactly the same. And I mean, what you find on the ransom side is typically they will reach out to you either by Google Messaging or by What's uh, Up, uh, WhatsApp. WhatsApp. And they will tell you that they can they may even leave you a positive review and they may be trying to sell you positive reviews. And if you don't accept them, sometimes they then will leave you a number of negative reviews and then they'll come back and try to extort you to get them taken down. Um, Mm -hmm. And these are usually petty anti players, people who live in less developed countries looking for a little bit income. So on one level, you have to be a little sympathetic to them. um, Because they're just trying to make a living like everybody here, um, which, you know, is, uh, I mean, it's, oh, um, you know, everybody's trying to make a living. But I wouldn't, like you said, I would never pay the ransom and I would report them exactly as if they were a competitor. Um, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, there are
1: many great ways how to earn money online. It's not only to leave fake reviews, it doesn't matter where you can live, which location you have, many possibilities. So yeah, it's possible to do it Um, and uh, yeah. I think uh, we can handle the process. It doesn't matter what kind of things you have. Uh, and uh, Mike left accidentally. Probably he will get back in some time. And let me. Uh, yeah, me we got back. Um,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, I see. Okay, Mike. Uh, I have the question about uh, negative reviews, but real. Okay, can you tell what to do if some businesses get negative reviews? Uh, They're real, uh, not fake. And uh, what to do? Because Bill Gates said you can learn from them, you can update products, but uh, 95%... So, would... let's
0: let's quote Mike Blumenthal. Yes. Complaints are the building blocks of a better business. So, let's not yes. quote Bill, Bill Gates, he's a reprobate. <laughs> so, um, so, anyways, I mean, negative reviews... Firstly, you have to understand that consumers do not expect five-star review businesses. If they see five stars, they're suspicious. So negative reviews play a, a role in terms of increasing your credibility. So having some of them, and if they're explicit and explain the problem, two good things can come of it. One is if it's a real problem, you can fix it and not have it happen again. You can then reach out to the consumer, tell them that you fixed it, perhaps incentivize them to come back to see you, to learn that you have fixed it. And about 30% of the time they'll actually change it if they're satisfied with your work. I mean, they're trying to be heard. So that's one possibility. Um, the other possibility is to set up a review process that captures the complaints before they become reviews. So a survey process so that you know people are unhappy so that you can fix it prior to them leaving reviews. Now, the FTC has said that you can't do review gating. You can't just ask happy customers for reviews. Um, so if, if you do have a process where you ask people for feedback and then take them on to leave review, you have to allow them to leave your review even if they're unhappy. But what we find in that situation is all they want to do is be heard. They typically want to complain. They want their complaint resolved. So one of the things you can do is put this extra survey step in the review process, and that often satisfies them, so they don't go on to leave a negative review. Hopefully, you'll take care of it. You'll solve it. Um, so, one summary: negative reviews aren't bad, uh, and then because you can learn from them. Uh, two, you can set up a system that you know understands that and gives consumers that outlet for it. And then thirdly, a negative review may actually be good for you because it may be a service you don't provide. They expected it. And you can just say, look, I'm sorry that we don't provide that service, but we don't because we want to take care of our customers for the services we do provide. So a a decent response. And in all of these situations, responding and action are critically. Just saying, oh, this won't happen in the future is not enough. You have to sort of give a detailed explanation of what went on and then um, reach out to them privately, hopefully to resolve the problem um, and go from there and see if they won't change it. But you gotta realize that if you've got a hundred reviews and you have uh, 10 bad ones, you know, you're still, whatever that works out to 4.5 out of five. and most consumers look at 4344 sort of a threshold from buying from you and look at 49 and 50 as fake. So having some negative reviews is actually to your credit.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, love it. Love it. Uh, Yeah, I think fixing is important because once I check out the study that uh, uh, 30% of people can replace negative reviews with positive one, if you decide their problems. If you fix and pay attention, uh, take care, uh, show kindness to them, you know, give some extra help. So why not? You can do it. Uh, And uh, because 95% of customers read reviews before buying. So if you have negative reviews, it's better to replace them. But don't be mad if you can't have five star reviews of five star reviews. That's okay, because customers trust reviews from uh if i remember correctly from uh 3.5 to 4.5 so yeah Uh, they look more uh legitimate okay mike uh, i have the question about uh local seo uh can you tell how to compete uh in local ranking when uh in the top 10 you can see websites like zillow i don't know uh, Yelp, many others, big websites, popular websites that have uh, a lot of locations. Uh, but uh, uh, even if you have better content than these websites, it's hard to overcome them. Can you tell how, what to do? Uh, any tips, uh, how to create the right strategy uh, when you compete with big websites? All
0: right. So uh, there's three ways to be seen in local and not all local queries show the pack, but not all, you know, uh, so basically there's three ways to be seen, four ways to be seen in local. You know, one is be seen in the three pack, in the map pack. Uh, No directory is going to rank there. Obviously, it's a limited amount of uh, territory to rank in. There's only three spots, but you, you know, so you can rank there. To rank there, sometimes you can rank on, Maybe you can't even rank there on your primary category, but maybe there's a secondary category that's profitable for you. I would make that your prime category and rank where you can initially. The second area where you can rank is inorganic. While while you are up against large multinational firms with strong sites, Google does localize organic results. They mix in local websites if the sites are done with content that's relevant to the query. So one of the tricks tricks there, not a trick, is to create content, one page of content around each of the services you provide or each and or each of the products you provide and around each of the areas that you service because local is not just one neighborhood, it's multitude of neighborhoods, maybe adjacent towns. And if you've got a strong site, you can show organically when you can't show in the pack, you can show organically for areas beyond the immediate surroundings. So organic, a good organic site with good internal linking so that Google knows that the that you are doing business and providing these services in these areas. Google will tend to rank more of these than not. So it's not impossible to rank, particularly in less competitive uh, suburban areas around your primary area. And then in the service in many industries, Google has been expanding with these local service ads. These have become, you know, they're either Google guaranteed or Google screened. They add a level of prestige to the business. What we see is that they attract a fair bit of attention. Most consumers will scroll right by regular ads, typically. But when they see Google screened or Google guaranteed, that's enough of an extra visual along with the picture and the stars. And they're very straightforward and easy to do. You can turn them on, turn them off, they're sort of flat rated. So that's the third way is to advertise, but look to see if in your industry there's these local service ads as opposed to general AdWords. So Mm -hmm. uh, one, have a great website with great content localized to all the services with a page on each service and a page for service areas to do well in local seo which you know in the pack which is having a great website but and having great content but also having you know the right categories good attributes a lot of good positive reviews links to your local landing page etc and then consider advertising analysis so I think there's a number of ways that you can compete um, in that space reasonably well mm-hmm. okay
1: uh, can you tell about uh, creating uh, local content you know uh, I think content is the number one ranking factor it's important to have high quality content but it's subjective we don't know how to measure this quality right. I think yeah you know when I check out Uh, some websites like Wikipedia, Investopedia. I don't see nice looking design, but I see great text, you know, uh, text that can help me, then uh, help more than uh, many other texts that we have. So uh, what about local SEO? How to measure this quality? If someone want to overcome others, uh, check out user intent, but don't know how to create or share this quality with users.
0: Right. I mean, you run into several problems in local. The biggest one is that the owners are not comfortable creating content. Mm-hmm. And so they, they tend towards less content rather than a little more uh, detailed content. So there's that problem, which is just a confidence problem. For me there, there's several ways to deal with that. One is to, if you're an agency, for example, interview that small business person Talk to them, ask them a specific question about a specific product. You'll find they'll talk about it all day long. Take that and transcribe it and then fix it up. You'll have both a video and a good, unique selling proposition from that business to create that content. So that's one idea. The other is to use something like ChatGPT to both, not so much to write the content, but to get the type of content you might want to be writing about and to get an outline of each of that. So that you then can then, as a small business person, sort of fill in the outline. Oh, and then thirdly, I suppose you could get something like ChatGPT to write it and then you rewrite it. But I think you run a, a risk there of creating too generic of content. Now, part of the issue, one of the things you need to realize is that you are competing on local organic. Um, you're not competing nationally. So it only has to be, it doesn't have to be 10x greater. Quality than Zillow. It has to be 10x greater quality than the competitors in your organic reach. And so, quality level doesn't have to be, I mean, it should be good, it should be meaningful, and it should reflect your voice and your values, but it doesn't have to be, you know, 10x of whatever Zillow is doing. You know, it has to be 10x Mm -hmm. of what the guy down the street's doing it. And usually, like I said, most of the guys down the street do shit for content. So it, it isn't that hard.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm interested about blogging, you know, uh, for example. About, about uh, what? I'm sorry, I didn't hear that. Uh, blogging. Blogging. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, because, you know, for example, uh, I usually help websites with national, international SEO. And uh, what about local SEO? Because I got a few questions about that. Uh, for example, uh, some topics uh, can be local, can be uh, others. Are not. For example, I don't know, like uh, clocked sync. Yeah, uh, to fix uh, sync uh, in my bathroom, something like this. So it doesn't matter what kind of location you have. Is it a good idea for local websites to cover these topics or it's better to pay attention only to topics that uh, have uh, 100% local intent? I don't know, like how to find the best plumber in New York. Yeah, what do you think?
0: Well, I think it's, firstly, I think that they have to have a good, well-structured website siloed by topic and location with good internal linking structure and a good internal linking plan, understanding which of those pages are converting, which ones are showing in search and which aren't. So that has to be done. And with great photographs. We've learned in local that great photographs on the website and great photographs in Google convert significantly better. So that's relatively easier than running a blog. Now, whether they run a blog is then becomes a question of it isn't just having more and more and more content It's having content that reinforces your silos with good internal link structures and additional information. That's one goal. And the other is to, you know, attract readership now. So it takes a certain type of business to want to be able to regularly output local content. It doesn't necessarily need to be, um, vertical related conversion related it could be about the local not-for-profits you support and supporting them in return for them linking back to you for example or it could be a combination of those it could be that you have a passion um you know you're about training young kids and so maybe you create a scholarship for them and you make that available on your website in a blog post so there's ways to do it, but it's got to fit your style. I mean, if if you're if you're not prepared to at least once a month generate that content, then it's not right for you. And just generating content to generate content isn't probably right. So to me, it's a combination of ability and desire. You could always pay for it if you have the desire. And then creating content that reflects two things: your community and your Content silos, and you use the blog that's about your content silos, to be sure that you're linking back on, you know, uh, correctly to those silos, so that you can help those become more visible.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to ask about EEAT. You know, in national SEO, mm-hmm. international, so for some I... topics, it's a must-have, like uh, finance, health. But what about local SEO? Uh, website owners need to consider expertise, experience, authority, trust, or uh, it's, or they can skip it, you know, avoid and go ahead.
0: Right. It is certainly not as critical as a website that deals with your money or your life. That being mm-hmm. said, we just completed at Near Media, uh, we did a search survey of two, over 200 people where we gave them a problem to solve through search. And we... Had them explain to verbalize what they were thinking as they saw, as they went through this problem. And what we saw was that people were very concerned with time in business and qualifications, that they were looking for EAT or EEAT in their searches. And they looked, they responded to, for example, meta information uh, meta descriptions and title tags that highlighted times and service and that sort of thing as well as say free consulting the other thing i did was i drove some local queries through bard last week and i said you know who would t- 10 best jewelers in buffalo and bard came back with a list and i drove into the list and i said why did you pick these and they said well this Jeweler said that she was a gemologist and she had this certification. Now, wh- while you can't trust everything BARD says, I think you can trust that BARD, Google, considers it somewhat of important. Not so much as a ranking signal, although it might be, although there's so many other things that sites need to do in local that it's probably not to that point yet. But I do believe that consumers need it they like to see your qualifications both in the serps and when they get to your website clearly that was demonstrated by our by our you know what we did with a survey of those and it's it's reinforced by Bard's responses to me when i asked them why they picked these particular businesses time and business you know fact that they were gemologists the fact that they had some certification was all important to Bard, and i think that it, it is important if it, even if it isn't quite rising to the level of a significant ranking factor, it's a huge conversion factor. And I think one of the things you need to realize about local is Google, I mean, zero click results don't hurt you in local. They help you because if somebody gets to find you on Google and calls you, what do you care if they went to your website or not? And what we're seeing is that stuff that looks good in the SERPs, good images, reviews, good meta descriptions, good title tags, that creates immediate conversions and people call you. So the fact that it's zero click is no skin off your nose and it's to your benefit. So it's a situation where that's positive, not negative.
1: Mm -hmm. Nice, nice. Well explained. Love it. Uh, Mike, I have the question about mistakes. Can you list common mistakes that uh, businesses still do in local SEO. I think they do a lot of them and uh, your tips, how to find a much better way.
0: So the biggest mistake is to think that there is a silver bullet, that there's going to be mm-hmm. one hot tip, whether it's adding geocoding to your photos or getting, you know, 2000 reviews. I have, you know, keep getting reviews, Um, I think that slow and steady is the critical issue in local and not continually trying and slow and steady of the known factors and not continuing trying to look for some magic to occur. And slow and steady, I mean, uh, one, a great website with good internal linking that describes what you do, who you are, and where you do it. In great detail. Two um, listing in the critical directories. A lot of businesses think they could list that somehow it's going to help them to list at three or four hundred directories. Google doesn't even scrape these directories all that often. So you probably are fine with listing at 20 directories. Um, three, having a continual ongoing review process so that minimally you get at least 10, which is where you get a, a, a lift. But then you get sort of conversion lifts after that. But don't worry. You need to be competitive in your market. You don't need 1,000 or 2,000. There's no magic number. You just need as many as as your market is demanding. So if the leaders in your market have 20 or 25, you need 10% more than that. Great photographs across the whole board, your website and your your Google My Business, regularly uploaded. We're seeing in Google conversions go way up when high quality product and people shots are added to their Google My Business on a regular basis we and to their website, we're seeing somewhere between a 15 and a 90% increase in conversions. Not a ranking impact where people just say, oh, I'm gonna look at the photos, you look professional. It's a situation where you could hire a photographer for 400, $500, get a year's worth of photographs, stream them out to your website and to Google and it will pay off in spades. Um, And then you need to do all the things that traditional businesses did for marketing. You need to get engaged with your community, but engage with your community, both in real life and digitally. If you're helping the Little League, then make sure the Little League's linking to you, for Christ's sake, right? It's simple. Um, If you are doing something significant, get an article in the newspaper. In local, Google considers a brand mention roughly equivalent to a link. So the same things that you always did, just make sure they're being done online on a regular basis. Working with a group of local businesses, perhaps to you know link to each other. Say you're in the jewelry business and you want to help other people in the wedding business. You can create content around that, create links to each other. People Google can see that. So I think it, in some ways, it's no different than what we've always done is, you know, be an upstanding, provide great service so you can guess for and get good reviews. You know, be an upstanding citizen in your community so that these groups are willing to share information about you on their website. You know, get media that gets published online. Um, those sorts of things, they're pretty much the same as they always are, just the context is a little different where you need to be sure that with Little League that you're helping you don't just get the ad on the fence, you get a link from their website.
1: Mm -hmm. Nice, nice. Well explained. And Mike, I have the final question uh, about your experience. I have some students in my network who are looking for ways how to learn from scratch, who have no experience even more, you know, if I have new customers and uh, if I see they don't understand SEO, I usually tell them, please take my course, learn. Learn from Google, from YouTube, from my course uh, that we created with many great experts like Lily Ray, uh, Jeff Coyle, Mike Phillips, many others, because I want to cooperate with someone who understand the basic because we can uh, cooperate like a cohesive team. We can have goals uh, and to understand why we do something. If people don't understand, it's hard to get high results. Let's imagine. You started from scratch without any experience, knowledge, skills. You don't know anything about local SEO and you need to learn it. So, tell what will you do today to learn more about local SEO if you have no skills?
0: So, what I did, which I think is still relevant, is I started largely volunteering my services to businesses as a local SEO. I didn't charge them for and I experimented. So I learned what worked for them. You know, I could, If I made a mistake, I can give them their money back, it's, didn't charge them anything, so it's free to me, free to them. And I wrote about those experiments to engage others, to help me refine my thinking. So I think that's a great way to start is you do it. You know, you, and That's one issue is doing it, perhaps doing it for free, and then tracking your experiments carefully. And the idea of experimentation is critical here because local varies to a large extent uh, very much by category, by market, by competition, by user behaviors. There's so much difference between one business in the same, even in the same market than a different business or between markets. So tracking it, doing experiments so that you can learn as you go. And then sharing that with others that are trustworthy so that they can give you feedback about it. And then start following people in the industry that are trustworthy, that aren't. Looking for the silver bullet, these are people that have put in the hard work and are willing to share it. And people like Darren Shaw or Joy Hawkins or Crystal Tang, these are people that they care about (laughs) not just what they know, but they care to share that with others in an honest way. And then go from there. And once you've done a couple, three, four, five businesses, sort of as a sideline, you know, start charging. And then, um, you know, fu- then I would start finding tools to help you become more efficient at it. White Spark does a great job with pr- with business listings. Gather Up does a great job with automating review asks in a way that I think makes a lot of sense. So exploring those tools that you can learn how to integrate them and Make some money on them, you know, as a reseller, and then starting charging for your consulting. So you're sort of easing your way into it, not doing more, not promising more than you can deliver, and uh, going slowly as you learn.
1: Nice, nice, awesome, awesome, valuable. Yeah, I completely agree. You unhide it. How? I started my SEO journey, you know, I just, uh, but yeah, I charge, but charge uh, low price, so low price, you know. Yeah, and uh, because I didn't have experience, why I need to charge a lot if uh, I have no experience, it's more practice, it's learning, it's the same. You know, if you go to college, you can pay for college, but <laughs> if you <laughs> want to get skills by doing something, you need to, uh, yeah, to work for free. Or even, uh, yeah, or even uh, to charge a uh, low price. Mike, it's a big pleasure to get on my show, to learn from you. Tell our audience the best way how to keep learning from you,
0: how to follow you, how to reach out to you. So, let's see, I'm on Twitter, I'm Blumenthal. I write at nearmedia.co. Uh, my, uh, my website is blumenthals.com, and there's a contact form there if you want to reach out to me directly. Mm-hmm. And nice. then I'm in the if you're looking for, for pro bono support on Google I do that in the Google business profile forums
1: mm-hmm. nice guys you can find the links uh, to Twitter account to website to this article that we discuss uh, on this podcast in the description below listen us on Apple Google Spotify. Thanks again for your time love it so valuable. I love your energy, your bike on the background. I can see that yeah, <laughs> you so
0: can... my t-shirt says never underestimate below it. It says an old guy with a bicycle. So there you have
1: it. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Awesome. OK, guys, thanks a lot for listening to us. Thanks for listening to this
0: entire podcast. Please rank your experience in Apple, Spotify, Google, or any other platforms that you may use.